Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like me, one simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating also makes this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that'll make this type of abuse worse. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma, and Rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need real support, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org. We'd love to see you in a session today. Virginia is back on the podcast today. We're talking about other modes of learning through metaphors. We talked about infographics last week. We're also going to talk about the meditations. If you missed last week, start there first and then join us here. And we're just going to jump right in. So Virginia was mentioning that like a while back that I had said just a little bit about this analogy that we call the French fry analogy. And she had searched around on our website to try and find it and she couldn't find it. So we are going to go over it again today, just in case our memory is not serving us correctly. And perhaps I didn't talk about it on the podcast, but it's a really good analogy. So here's the analogy that she was like, Hey, you should talk about this again. All right. So let's pretend like your husband is a healthy person that he's not emotionally or psychologically abusive, that he's a good guy and that he's healthy and that he really cares about you and that he is honest. And he comes up to you and he says to you, hey, you know what? I have been eating at McDonald's too much and it's not healthy for me. It's kind of bothering me. I don't really like it. So I'm just letting you know that I'm not going to ever, ever eat at McDonald's again, ever. And you, as the supportive wife, would be like, sounds great, honey, right? Because this is not that important of a thing. You're like, okay, shine on. You do you. Good for you. Then he kind of doesn't say anything else about it. You're just like, great. Okay, good for you. Three weeks later, you have to use his car for something. So you get in his car and you lose a quarter, let's say. And the quarter kind of falls down through the cracks. And you're like, oh, I'm going to try and get that quarter. And in trying to get the quarter, you also find a french fry. And that french fry is unmistakable. It is a McDonald's french fry. You know what it looks like. You're like, this is a french fry. So you get your quarter out, you get the french fry out, and you go to your husband and you say, hey, honey, I lost this quarter. And when I found it, I also found this french fry. Now, if he's a super, super healthy person, he might say something to you like, oh, I know. I forgot to tell you, but I, I, I wanted to stop eating McDonald's, but I did go and I ate French fries. One of them must have gone missing. 
and I'm feeling so stupid about it. I'm actually kind of embarrassed because I had told you that I wasn't getting French fries ever again. And there I am eating them. It's so, so embarrassing. I would not say that that's an abuse episode. I would say this is a person who this thing is not that important. They weren't trying to deceive you. They weren't trying to hide it from you on purpose. And then when you were like, hey, where's this French fry from? They're like, oh, yes, I did. I did. I'm embarrassed about it. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep doing my goal. Right. Now, let's pretend that that whole scenario is the same. But instead, when you find that French fry, you go in and you say, hey, I found this French fry. And they say to you, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't even see a French fry. Or really? Hmm. I don't know how that got there. One of the kids must have had French fries and got in my car and dropped it there. And they start gaslighting and lying. They would not be a healthy person. They would be psychological abuse and emotional abuse, even if it was just about a French fry deceit and gaslighting and turning the tables and then to take it even further if they were like why were you going through my car and why are you trying to check up on me and maybe even I don't even know what you're talking about I never told you that I wasn't going to eat at McDonald's of course I'm going to eat at McDonald's so you can see all the levels of abuse that might happen due to that french fry if the person was abusive so Virginia when you were like hey I want you to talk about this on the podcast. Was there a specific part of that analogy just with the French fry, not not with pornography, not with anything else, where you've got finding the French fry and here's maybe what a safe, healthy person might, how they might respond and how an abusive person would respond. Was there anything specifically about that that really struck you or? Well, I think like- it captured what was happening for me. And like you said, they were small or smaller. They can be smaller situations. Um, It wasn't necessarily porn, you know, because at the time he was lying and, you know, I didn't know he was using porn, but there were other situations where he would, maybe he would tell a story. I would be somewhere, I would overhear him telling a story and I had never heard the story before. And then later I might approach him and say, oh, I never knew that you've been to England before. And he would say, I never said that story. I never said I've gone to England or like he would make up stories to people about things that he hobbies he had or uh, abilities that he had that he actually did not have. And then to me, he would deny that he had made up those stories. They were small things. Like now looking back, they feel so much bigger. Like I realized how big they really were, but they would be smaller things, so I would just kind of like let them go at the time. But I can now just look back and see the pattern of different French fries that I was finding, you know, in the figurative car. And you not realizing that even if it was just about a French fry, like quote unquote, just about right a French fry or just about him going to London, that his denying it, lying, deceit, gaslighting was severe emotional and psychological abuse. Right. Oh, for sure. So then you add something that you actually do care about. Because if you're like, I don't care if he eats McDonald's or not, who cares? Like if he wants to do that, fine. But then if we're talking about something that's super important, that's one of your sexual boundaries, like I don't want to have sex with someone who uses porn, or I'm not interested in having sex with someone who lies to me, 
or I'm not interested in having sex with someone who exploits vulnerable women by abusing prostitutes, right? Or something like that. And they're lying about that. That adds a whole other traumatic level of emotional and psychological abuse because it is something very important. Right. So why do you think the like emotional and psychological abuse that is really severe, that's about London, that I think a lot of women actually probably see. My ex did it about Tai Chi. <laughs> he told people <laughs> that he knew that he's like obsessed with Tai Chi. And I'm like, he never even like took a Tai Chi class until after I called him out on it. Like one day I was like, how do you know so much about Tai Chi? And he was, have you taken a class? You know? And he was like, I read an article about it. And I was like, what? It was so crazy. Why do you think that women kind of dismiss this like really actually quite severe emotional and psychological abuse when it doesn't seem to be about something quote unquote important? I think for me, if I, I feel like I didn't have proof. Like everything inside me was saying something here is wrong. This is not normal to lie about going on a trip to to England or to London. Like this is not normal. But, you know, my brain would say, well, this isn't like that big of a deal. Like, and he's not using porn because, you know, he said he wasn't using it. He's not doing these other things. I can think of way worse things he could be doing. So maybe this isn't that big of a deal. And I think... I think it was easy to rationalize it, to say, well, you know, kind of back to that upward trajectory, that graph in the infographic. Well, yeah, this is not normal. This isn't ideal. This isn't necessarily a good thing, but he's making progress because he later admitted it to me or, you know, he's doing it less sometimes maybe, or he's told me he loved me or, you know, just like things that you're like, okay, well, at least there's progress, even if this is still a problem, it's still progress. I think that's interesting because if you think about the progress, right? So I was talking to my dentist about this. This was after that I was separated, but I said, yeah, he had stopped like screaming and yelling in my face or something. I can't even remember what it was, but let's just pretend like that's an example. And so I saw that as progress and he was like, what? what are you talking about? Like, I've never, ever screamed and yelled in my wife's say. I, I know my dentist really well. I went to high school with him. He's a good friend of mine. So, so I know that this is true, right? I know his wife and stuff. And um, he's like, what? That's like progress from being like a, like these horrific, horrific behaviors saying, okay, well, at least he wasn't screaming and yelling in my face. At least it was just a kind, gentle lie. So I guess that's progress. Like that's, that's where victims are in their brains that they're like, wait a minute. Like, like it wouldn't be progress unless it was genuine change, not just changing up abuse tactics. Right. Lundy Bancroft talks about that in his book too. And why does he do that? He, he says like a lot of women are willing to not get to safety per se because they see like a 5% improvement. So if you had a hundred percent abuse and he's improved 5%, you're still experiencing 95% abuse. So thinking that that's like awesome, you know, maybe next week it'll compound and it'll be 90% abuse rather maybe think like I'm going to get to safety right now. 
and try to reduce my exposure to abuse by 100% and then over time see if he's safe from a safe distance rather than being willing to experience like some percentage of abuse. Yeah. And that made me think of a situation that I I oftentimes think about when when I look back on my experience. And I imagine myself standing outside of my house in a crazy hurricane storm, like lightning and rain and wind, like crazy wind, and my hair is flying everywhere and branches and leaves and just debris is flying all around me. I imagine all of that debris flying around me, all the storm or the vortex around me being the abuse that I was experiencing. And and then I imagine me putting my hands over my head just a little bit, like preventing from like a, maybe from like a stick from flying and hitting my head. Like that's a small improvement from not having any protection, but like it's something. And that's kind of like the little things that he would do that I would see as progress. But the only thing that really created safety for me was walking to my house, stepping inside and closing the door. And I could look out the window and see the crazy storm that was going on outside, but it wasn't hurting me anymore. And I think that's the only time I could really see the abuse for what it was. Because in the moment, I just felt like at least I'm not being hit by all these things. At least I've got a little bit of protection. But I didn't really understand like how much danger I really was in until I was in a safe place and I could look back and see see how dangerous it actually was. Before we get back to the conversation, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue. Or they try to quote unquote treat the victim and the abuser in the same setting. That's unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Well, and part of it is almost the adrenaline and of the chaos. You might not realize how cold you are, for example, <laughs> until you get inside and you're like, oh, wow, I was really cold and miserable. But in the moment, you're just trying to like make it down the mountain or survive, which is why people call abuse victims survivors, because every day they're surviving. They're in this sort of mental and emotional and psychological life and death situation and every day they're surviving and so that's why they're called survivors even if they're still in the abuse because they're surviving one day at a time but all of us have had this point where we sit back and think wait a minute do I just want to be in survival mode every single day or do I want to actually be able to rest and be safe in my warm house with a cup of hot chocolate, right? Or do I really want to be in that type of chaos all the time? Yeah, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me either. So I think that French fry analogy is good. If, If you find yourself being like, wait a minute, if this were about a French fry, it still would be severe and intense psychological abuse then you can know that the situation is bad. If someone is willing to completely deny, lie, gaslight, blame shift about a French fry, which is not that big of a deal, or some other thing like that, that's 
a really big warning sign that they are emotionally and psychologically dangerous. So I want all the listeners to consider things that you may have thought, oh, that's not that big of a deal. You know, when he denied that you had a conversation about changing the oil or picking up milk from the store or something, you know, it's not only emotionally and psychologically abusive in and of itself, but it likely also indicates that that is the part of the iceberg that you can see and that there might be way more things that you can't see. Things that are really harmful that are also happening and that just never ever forget that that gaslighting and emotional abuse and psychological abuse, no matter what it's about, is always going to be dangerous. So circling back to social media, I know social media is complex, right? And it's complicated. But for you, why do you find that following BTR or engaging with people through our social media platforms has been useful to you? For me, it's been bite-sized pieces of information. So every day, it's just a good resource. I can get on and, and digest one little topic, one little a quote or a thought or you know one of the reels that Jane does. And it's just something for me to think about that day. It's not like I'm spending, you know, I listen to the podcast, but I, I'm not committing every day to listen to an hour podcast or half an hour podcast. It's just one little post or one minute video that I can think about throughout the day. So I, I just think it's, it's a way for me to learn more about abuse without having to spend the time every day. As you're sharing that, it reminds me of one of my good friends in real life. She, oh, she's been in several abusive relationships and I would always kind of try and talk to her about it. And she didn't want to talk about it that much. And I'd be like, well, you know, listen to my podcast, except for I didn't want to like make her listen to my podcast. Right. Because like, that's annoying. And we've been friends forever. Like long before I started podcasting, we've been friends and she never really like paid attention to it or listened to it. And then one day our sons were on the same baseball team. So we were sitting there watching and I was talking about it more. And I'm like, you really need to listen to it. And you could follow us on Instagram or other things. I don't do the Instagram videos. Jane does those, right? So I show my friend and she loves Instagram. And the next time we hung out, she was like, oh my word, I've been learning these amazing things from this awesome Instagram account. She's like, I realized that my ex is abusive. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I've been trying to tell you that. And guess who she learned it from? From Jane, from the BTR Instagram account, which I obviously supervise because I'm the founder of BTR. And I thought like, oh, I've been trying to tell my friend this. I have this podcast. Like she has like literally me in her life. She hasn't been able to wrap her head around it. And then she watches Jane on Instagram and suddenly she gets it. And I was a little bit like frustrated and confused. But then I saw the beauty of it because then she told me, yeah, like listening to your podcast was really triggery. It was like too overwhelming and kind of too much for me. And I just like the length of it and maybe even because she knows me in real life. Maybe that was overwhelming. I have no idea. But the little bite-sized pieces for her were what really helped turn the corner and helped her realize what had been happening and then helped her start to heal. And so if people are like, oh, it's just social media, it's not therapy. I think that it has value and people are all different, right? So some people are able to really 
face their pain. Some people only want to face the pain like a little bit at a time. Some people really want to dig in. So I'm really proud of BTR in general that we have so many different avenues for people to get educated. There's the podcast that's more long form, right? Like 20 minutes of more in-depth information, short videos on Instagram, but also a live group where women can go and actually interact with our coaches and individual sessions, our workshop. We have a meditation workshop that you don't have to talk to anybody and it's just very relaxing and helps you process. Yeah. The meditations I thought were super helpful. They are guided meditations and there's different topics. I found them very healing and so sacred is kind of the word. It it just, it really helped me to connect with myself and to visualize myself stepping into safety when that's really scary for me in real life. It helped me to visualize myself becoming empowered and accepting that I don't know what's going to happen and also loving myself. I felt like there's one point where you, you know, you revisit your younger self and you just express love. And I just, I felt like it was just so healing and and just powerful for me. So I really, really loved and valued the meditations. One of them is called I Am Just Right. And that one I talked with Virginia after she did it and and she said that she was just crying. Yeah. That you were crying at the end. And th- were those good tears? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I was so, it was just like the healing tears, you know, where you just had that moment where you just feel like love for this part of yourself that needed that love. I just, I loved it. Yeah. I had wanted to do those meditations so that women could process, right, their emotions in a different way, which is kind of similar with the infographics and with metaphors. And all of the different content that we produce here with the intent to help women understand. And different types of content or different kinds of services speak to women in different ways because we're all different. So we are here for you, right? And we really, really care. And it's my goal and the goal of the whole BTR team to really try to help every woman understand this because we don't want anyone to be trapped in abuse. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Yeah, no problem. And thank you, Anne. Thanks for all you've done and for creating BTR. I love this community and it's been so helpful to me and I'm just really, really grateful. So thanks for everything that you do. If this podcast is helpful to you, Please help us reach other women by pushing that follow or subscribe button and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping get the word out. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.